Welcome to A Guest in the House podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Mickey Hess, and I'm here with my man, David Shanks. Your other co-host, David Shanks, Trom Diggs. And we're here with two guests today. We have Lewis Marks and Fabian Brown of Rope-A-Dope Records. Hello, hello. So welcome, guys. Um, we got a little history with the Rope-A-Dope Room. That's where Dave and I record when uh, there's not a pandemic. Pre-quarantine, correct, <laughs> correct, correct. <laughs> they, um, the, the, they were gracious hosts. They opened up their digs to us, fancy little um, digs too. And so we, uh, we hung out there for, I think, maybe three episodes before At least, the world yeah, shut down. Three or four. Yeah. Nice little spot right on the train tracks in uh, Haddon Heights, New Jersey. The Heights. We miss you guys. Absolutely. So you guys want to you guys want to start off by telling us what is Rope Dope Records? How would you define what you're doing over there? Uh, a little bit of the history behind it. Yeah, I'll start with that one. Um, Rope Dope was started uh, 20 years ago, uh, 1999, New York City. Um, and John Medeski and folks at the Knitting Factory uh, had this cat DJ Logic who wanted to be a jazz musician, although his instrument was turntable. Mm-hmm. And so, no, you know, no label would touch that. So they just started a new record label and, and put out that first Project Logic record. Um, so that kind of set the tone for this being a, a sort of a unique place for music that didn't particularly fit in any genre. Uh, there's a lot of history to cover, but I was involved from the beginning uh, with the clothing side. There's a clothing brand attached to Rope It Up as well. And... <clears throat> After the tumultuous years of the early and mid-2000s in the music business, I got involved, uh, purchased the company, and and came on board. And in the years since, we've kind of, you know, continued to release music that wouldn't necessarily fit on other labels, uh, but also we've developed a bit of a, like an independent music community, a collaborative group of individuals who vibe with each other and, and share information and, and work together, uh, in, in this crazy, uh, business environment. So I think we've released about 550 records, uh, over over those 20 years, probably two to 300 of them just in the last few years alone, as this thing has grown, uh, no genre, is untouched, although I'd say that, you know, things like metal and classical are really not our, um, you, you got to know what you're doing to play in those genres. You got to be super authentic. So we kind of steer clear of those. Although we do have people like, uh, Chris Poland from Megadeth just released a record with us. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's an argument as to what style of music, that we put out, but I, I guess I would just say, you know, if, if it doesn't, if it crosses genres or doesn't fit in, in neatly in a genre, it, there's a good chance it'll end up at rope Right. So that's Lewis Marks. Um, Fabian Brown, where do you fit into the rope story? Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a recent individual to, to the history and the lineage of, of rope Um, you know, I've known Lewis for, for quite some time. You know, I know him as, you know, the the record label dude. You know, the the dude at at, at Ropadope. Um, you know, we had a, a common friend, uh, one of the artists actually on the label, who who had introduced us at a at a local, I guess I call it a local watering hole, and um, we kind of hit it off, man. Matt Cappy. Yeah, Mr. Matt Cappy. Um, I I think Matt Cappy shared the fact that I had uh ten kids and. Then Lewis shared the fact that he's one of ten kids, and and that was pretty much pretty much it. You know, he was there with his, um, well, beautiful wife, girlfriend at the time, and um, yeah. Fa- fast forward, um, I was hanging out in town in Haddon Heights. Lewis was uh, looking around for a store to open up the the Rope Dope headquarters, do a little picking and packing for for our distribution, our physical distribution. 
And, uh, you know, we, we went over to a local, you know, business that was vacant and, uh, we had showed the place. It's funny because at the time I was, uh, you know, I've been in music for, for some time. I was actually a, a music teacher at the time, uh, going through budget cuts and they were cutting, cutting my position. So, hmm. um, I was looking for a place to, to work that wasn't my house with all the crazy kids. Uh, Lewis was gracious to kind of, you know, co-share his, his space with me and, um, little by little, I would just ask, Hey, if you need me to help you to do anything and, you know, the small tasks, you know, ended up going to bigger tasks and, and more bigger tasks. And eventually he asked me to come aboard, uh, on rope dope I want to say 2016 and, um, yeah, man, the rest is, is history as they say. And you know, when I first walked into the rope dope room, I saw releases that I knew and I just, I didn't know they were rope dope you know, it was kind mm-hmm. of mind blowing to walk in there and just kind of look through the shelves. And you guys have a lot of the the CDs and the vinyl sort of lining the the rope dope room. And you know, I, I had seen so many of these out there and listened to these, especially you know digitally, and never really thought about well, who produced this. So, like the uh, the live diggable planets, for example, I had no idea mm-hmm. that was rope dope. Mm, me neither. Me neither. Till I saw it. I think one of the things, if I can interject on that, sure. Um, you know, early in the history of this label, you know, promoting the brand was uh, first and foremost, right? You know, mm-hmm. that's what you did. You make a big name for the label. You put your you put your name out there. We had a branding and, and our clothing. And, and it, we kind of settled into a sort of a, like the branded secret kind of a vibe. Like if you knew, you knew. Like the hip people knew about it. Others have done the same, like a Ninja Tune or Def Jux down the, you know, down the line. But when we turned the corner 2011 or 2012 and we looking at the landscape of independent music, we kind of stepped back a little bit and put the artists out front and, and didn't really promote the brand as much uh, in people's consciousness, I think. So I think that might be part of the reason that, you know, Ropodov's not, not, you know, banging a drum for itself. Uh, we're more, you know putting the artists out front and just kind of putting our brand on the, on the CD and, and, uh, yeah, doing I think the that's work kind of refreshing actually. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Mm, um, nice. I was going to ask kind of piggybacking on what you just said, Lewis, regarding, um, kind of seeing the sh- shape of the industry in 2000, I think you said 12 or so and making a shift and just, you know, I'm always fascinated by the independent, um, record label, journey and just Mm. how um we're able to like navigate the changes whether they be in technology whether they be in um just the industry itself talk about kind of the transitions um that you guys have made as a as a label just keeping up and keeping pace and you know with with all the changes yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I mean, I could speak to the time that I've been doing this. I mean, the the 2000s were devastating for record labels, and you know, it's 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 just short of a miracle that we're open um, a- after those years, right? Um, <clears throat> coming on board in 2006 and and really fully taking over around 2009, 2010, the landscape has changed. You know, it's it's changed. It's constantly changing. It's really bizarre. And of course, now it's changing yet again. But the landscape then was a lot of people respond to the press, right? <clears throat> so the press in 2009, to, you know, and even in the, in, the, in the, even before that, right, was okay, albums are going to die. Record labels won't be needed in the future. Uh, artists can be independent. Uh, and you know, there's, there's this constant sort of drumbeat, especially coming from the tech world and the, and the, and the blog pundits that everything's going to change. And this is the way the new landscape's going to look. Right. So the press at that time was, you know, you don't need record labels. You can do it yourself put your stuff out. Uh, and of course, social media, which we all like to think has been around for a super long time, right. really was just kind of getting into, into full swing, you know, in 2009, 10 and 11. You had Facebook wide open, right? Where you know, if you post, if you had a thousand followers and you posted something, a thousand people would see what you posted. Right. So there was this, you know, you had they they gave you the megaphone, you know. Um, so that was the talk, right? So this is this is probably the biggest shift. I mean, 
you know, with, with social media as an option uh, for independent artists and with uh, the pundits talking about how uh, everything's going to be independent in the future, we faced a really important decision. And, you know, I reflected on that and it kind of lined up with my beliefs at the time. It's like, well, you know, what's the future going to be? We have an opportunity to make it the way we want it to be. And that is to have independent artists uh, have full control of not only their music, but their businesses, right? So where what what would our role be? What would rope it be? And that role is simply to support them in that process. And so we implemented certain things like communicating with each other, uh, making sure that artists didn't feel that they were in competition. And we can get into the politics of this, but there are there are political drivers, right? As to, you know, why do people feel like they're in competition with each other? Mm. But uh, you know, let's have everybody be on the same team. Let's share data. Let's let's give everybody our venue lists and our festival lists. Let's give everybody our press lists. Let's collaborate. Let's build something together. And and because that's what we what I saw as the the biggest missing link for independent artists is that sure everybody can put their own album out, but they're but then everybody's alone and and you know a single person in the wilderness but if you have a community and a collaborative piece together right then maybe you gain some power um so that's pretty much defined the last uh gosh you know nine ten years and then the other changes obviously the seismic changes are one facebook monetizing and then restricting that open megaphone right and having to dance around that and find new ways to get the message out uh two streaming um, and we're still, we, we still don't know what, what the outcome of that is. Although that, you know, I'll t- I'd like to talk a little bit of, about that uh, would, later please. in this, later yeah. in this podcast. Yeah. Um, we, we're not at the end of what streaming will do. Uh, but let's just say at present, the promise that streaming gave to artists is not being fulfilled, uh, at this point. Uh, so, you know, now we're at another major turning point. And while the uh, collaborative community has been super popular, as I mentioned, like hundreds of records. I mean, we're putting out 75 records this year. I've rejected 400 people in the last six months or so. Uh, all records that I would have put out, uh, you know, if we had bandwidth. Mm. Uh, so that, you know, that, that part is good. Um, but we still face, you know, a challenging business and and solutions. So now we're at a, a turning point as to what the next wave is going to be. I have some ideas on that, but I don't have a, a, a full plan of action yet. And would you say that that streaming has failed uh, the artists? What exactly do you mean? I mean, commercially, in terms of just getting their music out there? The premise uh, of streaming is that if you rent your music instead of sell it, mm-hmm. uh, you will... A, uh, get, get your $10 sale price over time. Uh, and B, you have a much larger audience that you can reach mm-hmm. some 2 billion people that are connected to the internet. Mm-hmm. And therefore, uh, this is a more democratic system. However, we're seeing more and more people getting lost in the sauce, like because of the volume of not just the volume of records that are coming out, but the way the streaming services are set up. I mean, I'm, you know, I'll just come right out and say right now is like, you know, we don't like Spotify doesn't sell music for us. We sell subscriptions for Spotify. I was going to say and, and and give them data. That's pretty that's pretty <laughs> much been my, my experience as well. It's you just you're giving them data and subscription fees. Mm-hmm. The actual um, technology is the is the product, not the music. Correct. I agree. I was going to, in contrast with kind of the resurgence of vinyl, um, how has that worked for you guys? Were you selling vinyl the entire time and then saw a spike? Or how has vinyl played a part? Yeah, vinyl is selling well, um, but there's a fundamental problem with vinyl is that the way the manufacturing is set up, it's for scale. Right. So most of these artists, uh, I mean, when I say for scale, I mean simply that by the time the way the the way the accounting is set up is that you know you go you make a record and then you pay your mix engineer you pay a mix producer you, you, you to record you pay to mix it you pay to master it and you basically that's your upfront cost right right and then you amortize that over time right right with vinyl you have to create a, a lacquer and a metal stamper 
which is the, the, the biggest upfront cost. But when you buy vinyl, it's considered a per unit cost, right? Correct. So nobody's considering that amortization. So to really get into a, a decent price on vinyl that gives you a good return, you have to spend at least $2,000 right. to start, right? So we have a lot of vinyl projects, but we have a lot of vinyl projects that are basically putting a drag on people's revenue because they haven't recouped that initial, initial investment, cost. especially if it's a double vinyl, right? So, you know, contrast that with CDs and you you pay a dollar and you sell them for 10, right? right? So it's really easy to recoup CDs and, and have an artist getting checks, Right. I love all the fans who say, you know, I really support this artist and, and you got to press vinyl. It's like if you support the artist, you wouldn't ask them to drop three grand or five grand or ten grand on vinyl run just for you to have a copy. <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting. I never <laughs> thought of it like that, but that's you, true. <laughs> you take money out of their pocket. But we're seeing it. And I think that the biggest lesson that I pull from vinyl and this is 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 huge for me. I'm, I feel very passionate about it is old technology dies slowly. Mm, right. Yeah. So people right now, everybody's talking about how downloads are going to end and and CDs are dead and the future is streaming and it's not going to happen. They're going to be around. If vinyl can come back, CDs aren't going away. As a matter of fact, right now, the only place that you can get the highest quality audio recording available on the market is either from a download from a company like Bandcamp mm -hmm. or on a CD. Mm. So if you guys want to throw throw all that away and just have vinyl and stream, then you're not going to have like 4824 wave or flac files in the ecosystem. Right. And that that's just not that's not tolerable for people who 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 care about music and listen to music. You need to have those. Now, do you find that there's a lot of crossover in what people are looking for in terms of your jazz audience and your hip hop audience? I think there's plenty, there's to a certain degree, right? So there's plenty of crossover in uh, jazz, soul, funk, yeah. R&B, uh, electronic. Uh, there's a little less crossover in uh, jazz to hip hop, despite repeated yeah. attempts yeah. to fuse that, <laughs> oh, right? Okay. Starting, you mentioned Diggable sure. Planets, right? And we have a lot of people that are doing that because everybody is so heavily, if you, if you went to Berkeley or you know, you're still heavily influenced by, by hip hop. I mean, take Russell Gunn, for example. Right. Um, so there's plenty of it. It just hasn't become a mm -hmm. thing, right? Like a full on, this is the new thing. Uh, you know, Terrace Martin did an amazing thing with Kendrick Lamar on to pimp a butterfly. I think that will, that would, that's a seed that's planted that will eventually grow this crossover. But the, but the outward facing look of hip hop, is still intact and it and it blocks that sort of like more informed jazz music vibe if that does that make no, sense I could see that i could see that on a on a um on a on a on a major scale i mean some of us are out here making jazz hip hop but uh <laughs> on a crossover scale yeah and i and, and I, I agree that to pimp a butterfly would be like the standard bearer for that you know moving forward for sure Terrace Martin has a new record out too that's pretty pretty good with um, Kamasi Washington and uh, Robert Glasper in Ninth Wonder that just dropped last yeah. Friday. I haven't had a chance yeah, to listen yeah, it's yet. Yeah, it's pretty cool, but not hip hop at all, really. Oh, other than Ninth Wonder and uh, and some of the beats behind it, but it's pretty cool. Nice. I think a lot of hip hop musicians recognize, um, you know, the the talent and, and the breadth that a jazz musician brings to any production or any project. Um, but as far as the mainstream and crossing over, I think that's I think we got some years before we see something really significant happen in the marketplace. But I think on an individual level, there's a, there's a lot of hip hop musicians who really, you know, are fa are fascinated by these jazz cats and and the skills that they bring. And you know, you, you know, you, you you want something done, man. You bring it to a jazz musician because they have the the technical, uh, you know, they have the vocabulary. They they can really kind of dance around a lot of different genres, um, and for the most part, easy easy guys to work with too. In my, right. in my opinion, right. yeah. I mean, hip hop's also very, you know, very much in waves. So we kind of had our jazz run, and you know, now something else is gonna thing, and then it'll come back around. So it, you know, yeah, it goes in cycles. Yeah, I, I I agree with all that. I want I want to tell one little story that illustrates what I mean about the you know the the culture thing. I was watching uh, Terrace Martin on uh, GGN 
<laughs> out at out at out at Snoop's out at Snoop's place, right? And uh, you know, he does. The, aside from the, the how how stoned they were, um, <laughs> a funny thing a funny thing happened. Um, you know, Snoop does the thing where he says, you know, he asks questions, right? Yeah, social questions, and he's like, "What's your favorite parts of a woman's body?" And Terrace responds immediately, "The eyes." Just <laughs> dies. <laughs> hits the the table looks up and goes you really are on some jazz shit <laughs> <laughs> so, that's the that that's the thing right. you know yeah. that that's the obstacle you can see it right there yeah that's for lewis you, you you were you were at that recording weren't you that that was you you were there when that was going down correct 100 percent. yeah safest place in la the compound compound <laughs> <laughs> so what are some of the new uh hip-hop and jazz releases that you guys are working on at Rope Dope. What's coming down the pipeline? Fabe, I'll let you jump in whenever you want, but the first one that comes to mind for me is Mike Larry Jaw. Well, M- Mike Larry Jaw, uh, we have uh, Jay French is coming out with, um, I-, I wouldn't even really call that a-, a crossover. I would call that more heavily leaning on 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 the on the hip-hop side. You know, we got... Straight up rap album. Yeah, that's, that's 100% accurate. You know, we got... Um, you know, cats like uh, Five Alarm Funk. They're more on the funk side. I really wouldn't call it hip hop, but the, you know, they have an MC that does that does their thing. Um, but but looking at the release schedule, uh, other than that, I, I think the album, to the the couple of albums to watch out for in that genre will be Mike Larry Draw <clears throat> and uh, and Jay French. Those are the two albums that I would have you guys pay attention to coming out in twenty in twenty twenty. Okay, it seems oh. like you guys are um, rolling along with the releases. Uh, so I guess the question is more from the artists that you guys collab with. What has been the feedback regarding, um, you know, the pandemic, touring, just just kind of the survival of these uh, independent artists? Uh, it's I mean, a mixed. It's a mixed bag. Yeah, go ahead, Fabe. I mean, uh, maybe I'll just jump in real quick from a from a publicity point of sure. view. Um, th- things are tough, man. I, I got to be honest. Um, there's a lot of. I mean, well, look, there, there's a lot of in my world. My my job is to advocate for these artists and to get their to get their likeness, their brand, their music, you know, exposure in front in front of more people, and to put their brand, you know, in the in the hands of journalists so they can speak to it. Um, well, what we found over these past four months, you know, going through this this pandemic is that a lot of cats are getting a lot of the journalists are getting laid off from from their jobs. A right? lot. And, a lot. And, and a lot of the freelancers that the publications are, are reaching out to to cover for these journalists, you know, it, it could be a mix. It could be a mixed bag. So to the days of making a lot of noise. Um, and rallying around a release, you know, it's already been tough, right? You know, you have to have a very compelling story to get the attention uh, for some of these outlets. Uh, but now with the constraints of, of staffing and um, just the way things are, it's, it's, a, it's a bigger struggle. So there's now's the time to go direct the fan. In fact, I always felt that the time to go direct the fan has always been here. Mm. You know, so what we're encouraging our artists to do is really, you know, uh, do the grassroots approach. You know, obviously still getting and securing press is important. You know, it would in the day it would help artists secure more more touring gigs, more and more shows and concerts. Right. But as we as we know, those those days aren't here with us right right now currently. Um, so it's tough, man. It's 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 not it's not easy. Um, you know, the best the best way to do it is is really fuel your your fan base and really, you know, get connected with them and uh, go direct go 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 direct to your audience now have you guys done any live concert series during covid we did a uh a sort of a hybrid festival um where we had some uh gatherings with musicians via zoom mm-hmm. uh and discussion about music uh then some pre-recorded segments and then a couple of people live <clears throat> it's a mixed bag as to what um equipment artists have in order to be able to broadcast from home um as a label we and as a brand that represents some of the highest quality music available in the world uh we did not want the average bedroom live shoot (laughs) you know um you know we wanted to get the sound and the and the set design and you know uh, right. But we've been able to sort of hybrid mix it. Um, 
you know, with everything kind of focusing on this room, which, which is a nice set, uh, and help the people work through sound settings. Uh, some are, some are more advanced than others. And it's really a mixed bag out there for musicians. Some people had day jobs. Uh, some of those were teaching gigs, which were a problem. Some had other streams of income. Some were able to get support. Some are not able to get support because we're global, right? So people in the UK are in a much better situation than they are in the U S um, because they, you know, they, their government, uh, cares. Has, a uh, has a clue, right? They, you know, they don't have a leader, but at least uh, they have a clue. Um, and it's a mixed bag emotionally, I think, and, and a mental framework for people. Um, you know, you, when, when something this seismic occurs in the, in the global psyche, uh, certain people are able to adapt faster than others. Mm -hmm. So some people were able to, to get themselves in this new paradigm while others were just like, Oh, I'll just stay at home and chill and it'll be over in a month. Right. And the, those people are struggling a little bit. So the community helps in having those conversations to try to help those people. And then, you know, we would love to see more support from some of the gear companies, mm. some of the music companies and streaming companies out there to try to help people. Um, but unfortunately, they're not they have not been as responsive uh, as I think they could have been. One of the reasons for that, and this is an interesting tidbit, is these gear companies are selling out of high end equipment for the last three well, months. Everyone's at home. <laughs> right. Well, so all the, right. So all the all the higher end musicians who had who had tech people uh, didn't have a home setup. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they'll go out and buy all the Neumann mics off the shelf at whatever price they are, Amazing. Uh, just to get set up at home. So those companies were, you know, they're they're pivoting their business and they're not necessarily anxious just yet to support uh, the mid range or, or you know more DIY artists with some equipment and then there's a learning curve yeah. but i want to throw in some bright spots real Please. quick i mean fans have come in we've had our biggest quarter in the history of the company on Bandcamp. Wow. uh fans have come in strong in supporting uh artists on Bandcamp. they're buying cds they're buying downloads uh they're contributing extra money talk they're sharing more Talk a little bit in that same frame about what Bandcamp is doing, because I got a notice, you know, for my own releases on Bandcamp, and it, it, I thought it was really cool, you know, in terms of, you know, bigger companies that haven't looked to give back, yep. you know, um, talk about the thing they're doing with the, they're giving an extra back or they're not taking their own cut on yep. like certain well, Bandcamp Fridays. is an amazing company. Yeah, Bandcamp's an amazing company. I mean, you know, they're they're... You know, after my own heart, their their first several years, their office was in the public library, right, for the <laughs> Wi-Fi, um, and they've they've built a solid thing, which only takes ten percent of everything they sell, right. and they have right, they're transparent. They have right on the front page everything that's selling and how much money they're earning, um, and I I, it's hard to tell with the stats, but I think they've tripled their business in the last six months. Wow. Um, but what they have done is is have these Fridays each month where they just waive that 10%. Right. And, you know, it's well into the million, over a million dollars and maybe over $2 million that they've actually put in the pockets of independent artists by waiving that fee, uh, you know. And, and they're, not, they're not a giant company like an Apple or Spotify. You know, contrast that with Apple, who I haven't seen any significant contribution to independent artists, uh, and they have $100 billion in the bank. So, right. you know... Bandcamp is a is a, is a bright spot in all of this, and I think it's a a solidly built platform that is not beholden to shareholders uh, to make changes. That you know, you, the, everything is always you know, like bipolar, right? You're either like this nonprofit that supports artists, or you're this giant corporation that says they support artists, but but is really just raking in right, cash, right? right. Uh, Bandcamp has an efficient model that does both of those things, right? <laughs> it makes good money and it supports artists. Yeah. And that's the kind of an infrastructure that, that is needed, yeah. you know? Uh, so we're, we're a hundred percent supporting them. Um, 
and I hope they continue to do it. But even if they don't, like, I mean, as I mentioned about the quality of the downloads that you can get there, the quality of the music that you can save, they, they, they also have this wonderful feature where, I mean, you could just look into anybody's record collection. Really? So for music discovery, that. it's amazing. You just, yeah, I didn't know about that either. Yeah, you just like, you know, follow an artist on Bandcamp and look at what nice. they bought. Or follow another person That's and cool. look at what they yeah. bought. And you're like, man, I can pretty much that it's kind of like the old days back you know i grew up in the 60s 70s and you know you knew a guy who had a good record collection you go over to his house and you check out what he had and that would help you figure out what to buy you know right 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 yeah greg greg was our guy on the block (laughs) yeah yeah sure oh so i mean we talked about kind of the effects that uh the coronavirus pandemic has had but um you know there's a lot more going on in the country outside of the global pandemic. Um, talk mm-hmm. about just, you know, the, the movement for Black Lives Matter and, you know, just the, the climate of the country. Um, talk about how it's affected the label. Um, I'm interested to know if the music that's coming in has started to sound different. Right. Just talk about just, you know, and um, talk about, you know, any initiatives or any things you guys have um, created. Well, let, let's break that one cool. up. Fabian, why don't you talk about some of the things that we're doing currently, and then I can talk a little bit about the history and and, and the overall view of what Rope It Up is. That's, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, j- just to give you guys context, you know, um, Rope It Up is no stranger to having artists uh, delivering us uh, – you know, social conscious music. Correct. I'll put it, I'll put it to you that way. Um, And, you know, when these events in our country really started to, to spike, um, you know, internally the conversations we had is like, you know, what kind of message do we want to broadcast? And we immediately went to our artists and, and said, Hey guys, you know, we we wanted to rally everyone and and, and get everyone's, um, you know, their perspective on, on how they were feeling and, and, and what was going through their minds and, and how we could help them. And the, the response from the community was just so overwhelming with, with support and, and, and people wanting to congregate and just come together to have discussion about what was going on. Um, and, and one of the things that, that, you know, that we did as a company, we put together, we, we put these discussions together, but we decided to broadcast them live mm. you know as in you guys were asking you know hey what have we done as on, on the live scene you know we we took a community of people who who felt comfortable with you know coming together on a platform like zoom and broadcasting it and sharing conversations i mean Cass, if you if you haven't had a second to to go and, and check out uh some of these live live streams that we put together what, what you're going to find is just some really uh, touching and and in- inspiring stories of of musicians sharing their struggles, sharing specific stories of situations where they were scared for their lives, mm. but somehow in the in the craziness and nonsense, they still come up and show up every single day with nothing but love in their heart, uh, nothing but love. They want they want to spread the ideology of of love. And, and, and working together and being together and, and figuring this out together. Um, it's, it's great to see the younger people, the younger community uh, rise and, and, and really be supportive with it. Um, it's been phenomenal. I, I, I got to be honest with me, you know, with, with you guys. Uh, Rope Dope has been a, a great place for, for me to connect with musicians, but not just on a musical level, on, on a real human being level. Uh, I'm just honored and, and blessed to be working with some of these guys. And um, yeah, so those are the things that we're doing. We're, 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 getting, we're getting conversations together. We're getting stories together. We're documenting these stories. And then we're broadcasting it out to people just as a point to begin conversations and discussion. Yeah. That's, that's really the starting point um, that, we've, that we've been able to accomplish so far. That's awesome. There you go. That's awesome. We did, do, we did, we did one of those on Juneteenth and donated uh, proceeds. Um, we had a mixed bag of responses from artists uh, in, in some of that early discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, certain people were feeling a sense of urgency um, around George Floyd and the protests. I was not feeling as much of a sense of urgency. Um, part of the reason 
is that this has been part of my life's work, uh, or at least my life's understanding for the better part of 30 some years. So, you know, I, I worked with Greenpeace in the eighties. I worked with the Leonard Peltier support group. I worked with big mountain support group. Um, I, I was very much aware of each, you know, I, I, go all the way back in my consciousness to like Abner Louima, right, right. right? In New York city police sure. department. Right. So uh, there was no surprise for me. I mean, I think the biggest surprise for me was like this moment. Right. Right. That way. That like, why here. this moment? Right. You know? Right. Here now. Yeah. So we go back to like, and if you take it on the recording side, you go back to Antibalis in 2004 yep. with payback Africa, right. Is one of the tracks. Right. Uh, and, and sister. Right. So the, the talking about issues, um, you know, you take it forward where some of these entire projects are about all this from Russell Gunn's uh, Pyramids uh, album to uh, Vivian Sesame's powerful song, I Can't Breathe for Eric Garner and Erica Garner. Uh, it's been consistent uh, here at the label for us to be uh, on the side of broadcasting, you know, pushing music out that addresses these issues. I put together a playlist on Spotify and I had to stop at like 35 or 40 songs because I'm just like, well, nobody's going to listen to four or five hours of this thing. But that's, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was easy to dig into our catalog and find dozens and dozens of songs about this same thing. Right. Um, and you know, I'm an older man. I, you know, I, my, my, my role is not on the street or in the front line at this right, point. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I want to look at what's going to happen in the longer term. And I, I, and I think right now we're continuing to do what we've always done and push that message out when people bring that message to us. Right. We're not afraid of it. Um, I'm looking at it from a company standpoint of moving our money to to uh, black-owned banks mm. um, and trying to support black-owned business and and women-owned business. Um, it's something that was always in my mind, but it, you know, have I done a great job at it? As good a job as I should have done? No. Uh, but we're really looking at the larger picture, like in the sense that. All, in my opinion, all of this is economics. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's it's you're not born racist. You you're taught because the system uh, is set up in such a way as to benefit certain uh, powerful white people, Correct. and they they're going to hold on to that forever, right? Well, as um, long as they can. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, in their yeah, minds, yeah, yeah. And, and they know, yeah. like they know, like if they're scared, if they're scared, and they're waving guns at protesters. Um, it's cause they've already admitted that like, that's just an admission that they, that they haven't earned what they have and that they're afraid that you're going to take 100%. it. Right? And, you know, and so, you know, the company exists in a, in the last 10 years, at least as a way to empower smaller independent people who are, who do care about this issue and who are making moves not just from broadcasting about the problem but also by building a community that doesn't look like what the outside community looks like right that that looks a little bit more progressive and 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 deals with love you know um but also you know what are the next steps financially and like that's that's where my head is like how do we i mean i just closed our amazon store for example mm. i just you know, why did we sell on Amazon? Because some fans are like, I, I need to buy it on right. Amazon. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm sorry. Cat made $70 billion during, while we're all struggling. I can't do it anymore. Just not, you know, you just, no. It's funny because so as I, you, know, you were talking, as you were talking earlier about Bandcamp, I made a note to myself that I'm going to start promoting my Bandcamp and I haven't been promoting it as much as say the Spotify and Apple music because it's just laziness because everyone tells you, are you on this? Are you on title? Or are you on, you know, their particular, but I'm yep. going to start pushing people towards Bandcamp. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, we've, 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 we've sacrificed freedom for convenience. We've sacrificed justice for mm -hmm. convenience in so many ways. And, and we have to make those changes. Uh, and that's where my, my head is going. Another thing that's going to happen is why, you know, why put out full albums on Spotify? Right. 
why not put six of the tracks out on Spotify and have the other four over in a place where you know that the artist is getting 90% uh, and where and where it can align with the values that lead us to a more just right. system. You know, so, I, you know, we're ready. I think we've I think we've proved ourselves. I don't think we have much else to prove <laughs> musically um, and brand wise. And, and I think it's time to be even more radical. And, and you know, we, we've we've gone along with Apple and we've gone along with Spotify because they had a promise. I referenced this earlier. The promise was that you would earn more money because you're reaching more people. And we're just not finding that to pan no. out. So, you know, if we offend them now, it's not like it was five years ago. You know where you you won't get on a playlist or you won't get a you won't get a banner. I mean, and they have to understand. They just have to understand that they're not providing sustainable uh, uh, income for musicians. And as companies, they're not standing on the right side of history. So we just need to, you know, that to me is my protest. Right, is stand up and just say no. Apple, you can't have all this. Music. So you're less concerned when you say you didn't really feel a sense of urgency to respond. You're you're more concerned with the some sustainable financial structural moves that'll put rope dope on the best foundation going forward with these issues. Well, I, I think we just want to lead and try to show people how to do it. Sure. And see if we, you know, we're, 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 um, we're gardeners, yeah. you know, <laughs> just like plant a seed and grow it as strong as you can. And hopefully that's what'll grow, you know? Um, I, I, we, we saw, yeah, you know, so many companies and, uh, you know, working at universities, every department, every office feels like they need to sit down and write their own statement on George Floyd and and, and yep. not really address anything in the office. You know, they want it on their website. This is what we say. This is what we think about it. But in a lot of places, that's where it stopped. You know, they wrote their statement, they posted it on the website, and they didn't really look into black-owned banks, for example, like you mentioned with Rope-A-Dope, or uh, right. who they were in business with, like you mentioned with Amazon. I think that's that's an interesting approach. Well, they're taking their they're taking their cues from they're taking their cues from the marketing sure. team, from the publicist, yeah. right? That's that that's to them, it's a public relations so issue, public not relations an actual issue. human Absolutely. issue. That's the distinction. You know, yeah, and that's a, a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about what you guys are doing and saying is, you know, like myself, but just because I come from the environment and had the actual hands-on experience. But what Lewis is saying is that for those of us who already knew this was our country, we are now trying to figure out solutions and ways. We're not so much responding the way these companies are all responding because they're they're like oh we have to respond now we're forced to respond now right you know what i mean those of us yeah. who knew what this was we're trying to figure out you know what to do exactly what lewis is talking about so and i i commend him for that and for, for making that distinction too i'd like to draw a quick parallel here and and that Please. is so we we have a lot of artists who will come to us and say well uh and I want to tell you, like, you know, Terrace Martin put a couple of records out with us and he'll, he'll put out more. And Terrace Martin didn't sign with rope dope I wish I could share it. It's kind of personal, but like I, I met with him in Los Angeles and I flew back on the plane and I furiously typed out my pitch, right, as to why I wanted him to be. And, and it had everything to do with politics and social justice. And the parallel is this. So the record label system is set up a certain way. Here's $50,000, here's $100,000, here's a million dollars, whatever it is, right? Okay? You, you, we, we have a certain level of control over you because we have this huge investment that we've put out there. And then we're going to market the hell out of you and blow you up, right? You're going to have a better life. But guess what? The next time you want to make a record, you're going to have to come back to us for that money again. You're a bank. Right? There's, there's a certain uh, – there's an ownership. I want to get too heavy, right. right? But there's an ownership factor there that, that reeks – of this, the exact problem that we're talking right. about, right? That's, that's right. And so what is it for the independent artist to do but start to take control of their own finances and make the right decisions that build equity? I mean, I heard a stat last week that the average white couple, uh, I heard this on NPR, at, at, at their death, the average white couple has $250,000. Average black family in America has $8. Yeah. And it's pretty simply because you don't have cumulative uh, 
you, you have laws against you, right? Working against you, but also just that it's, 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 what is the strategy? How do you build wealth? And I even see it inside the black community. When I see that Dre has a new pair of sneakers every day, I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? Like that, that's not, that's not success. That's not empowering the community. Did he, did he make a donation or something? And that's supposed to be the, the solution. Everybody has to build equity yeah. together yeah towards a future or else this stuff just doesn't yeah. change. It's a reason why they have all this power. Hmm. I mean, I, Hey man, look, that's it. I mean, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I, I appreciate it. But sure. I, I do want to acknowledge what Lewis is doing too on, on, on the insides. He's, he's intentionally bringing the community of, of artists together and, you know, for, forcing this, this, communication with among one another and then really just letting the world hear it you know i, I think you know a, a part of healing or a part of of moving forward is is in the conversation and, and not just you know blacks talking to blacks or whites talking to whites but people talking to people the community talking to one another and 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 hearing and listening with an open mind i mean it was a beautiful thing to hear all these stories and have musicians that are on the label who are who are not of color, you know, the, the, the thank yous of, of sharing for your stories and, and all of the, I mean, it was just a beautiful experience guys. I'll put it to you that way. And, and if, if, if this, if this small community called Ropadope can do that and have such a profound effect among the people who are part of the conversation, you know, just imagine what's possible when you, when you have this conversation in, in a broader sense with, with more people. So it, it is exciting to, to kind of, again, be a part of something positive and, and moving towards positivity. I was exhausted at the end of that. It, it was, it was, it was emotionally draining, mm. but I, yeah. I, I, it, uh, I left with a real sense of whole, you know, we did, we did something here today. Th this conversation was, was, was walking towards the right direction. Now, if we can only have this type of conversation with more people in a bigger audience, what could be possible? It, it really casted some vision for me to be quite honest with you guys. And those conversations are um, housed where? Where can we find those? Uh, currently, they are actually living on on Ropadope, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Ropadope 99. You can just go through through our timeline and uh, go through our live in, in the video section. You, you're going to see some some replays of, the, of those broadcasts. Okay. Specifically, look for June 19th and, and whatever the Bandcamp day was prior to that. So June 5th, I believe. Correct. June 5th and Juneteenth. And there'll be more coming up. So we have to organize our next uh, festival uh, and also our next uh, sort of Black Lives Matter social justice discussion. Good. Um, Is this a virtual festival or are you guys planning to? Uh, virtual. Okay. Yeah, it's, all, it's, all, okay. it's virtual. Well, yeah. Mm -hmm. One of the benefits we have is that there are people that, like the next festival will be exciting because there are people in uh, in Australia and people in uh, Berlin and uh, even down in Italy now where they are performing live. So we'll be able to bring, you know, live venue performances, uh, record recordings or possibly directly live uh, for people here in the U.S. where, where things haven't opened up yet. And we'll provide all these links for uh, Rope Dope's Facebook page and these awesome episodes that everyone wants to hear. We'll make sure this is up on our podcast website. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, where else should people look? I mean, if they want to learn more about Rope Dope and what you guys are up to, obviously your website is the place to start. But uh, any, more, any more recommendations, any more places to point our listeners today? I think YouTube – uh, dot com slash rope it up 99 is, is a premier place. Um, and, and, you know, the usual pitch subscribe and hit the <laughs> notification button. Um, because they're, you know, we, we don't overwhelm people with marketing. Uh, but you know, when we have a video premiere or we're going live, it's going to show up on there and, and you'll get that, you'll get that notification. So right, thank you. We'll make sure that's up on the website too. Hey, I want to throw, I want to throw a last thing in there. I'm sorry. Oh, go for please, it. Go please. For no, please. Um, we did this interesting project that began at the beginning of lockdown. We had uh, nine composers from around the world each write a new song and then share their composition with the other musicians. And the musicians come from 
Australia, uh, Japan, uh, Nigeria, Italy, Wales, Ireland, uh, Mexico City, and New York. Wow. Nice. Uh, and it's really a fascinating project because they, they not only uh, composed these songs, but also recorded each other's songs in a, uh, uh, on video uh, from their homes. And so we have 30 minutes uh, concert and Q&A with each artist about the project. And it's a really beautiful example of musicians uh, coming together uh, and using the technology to connect globally. Uh, and that lives on our YouTube channel, uh, ran, ran from July 13th straight through to the 23rd. And you can check it out there. Okay. And what's the name of that project? It's called Nine Takes. Nice. Looking forward to checking that out. Excellent. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't have much else, guys. I mean, you guys appreciate your words um, and your thoughtfulness. We want to thank you guys, man, Lewis and Fabian, for um, sharing this time with us and having this discussion with us, man, and, and, and being candid. And uh, I think our listeners will uh, benefit from the insight. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Appreciate the opportunity to, to, to chat about this stuff. And thanks for all your hospitality, hosting our uh, live recordings whenever we can do them someday. We can't wait to get back. <laughs> we want you back. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We want you back. All right. It was great being a guest in the house, guys. Uh, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. right. We have to do a part two and, 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 act and talk about that. Yeah, that's true. Love that's it. True. There you go. All right. Well, thanks to Fabian Brown and Lewis Marks for joining us today. Um, as always, this is a guest in the house, Fabian and Lewis from Ropa Dope Records. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's a wrap. Where's the glory? What was the glamour? Who was the police? What happened in the shootouts? Why were so many bullets left in the wind? In the walls, in the chests of 23-year-old young men standing in the wrong places at the wrong time. Their last breath of manhood simply pleading, don't let me die. Don't let me die. Please, don't let me die. Mm-hmm.